seconds. Wow. Good morning, New Life Church. Good morning. morning. Let's stand together this morning. Happy Sunday. It is here. Let's stand together. Let's worship our King together. Let's lift our voices loud and strong together this morning. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Sing it out, church. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, we worship you for who you are. Oh, we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we worship you for who you are. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. People from every, people from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we worship you. Hallelujah, we worship you for who you are. Oh, we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we worship you for who you are. 
Praise the Lord. Oh, man, I love it. I, you know what? We serve a good God. Doesn't make him a safe God. Can I tell you that? I like what C.S. Lewis says when he says, when he's talking about Aslan, he says he's a good lion. Doesn't mean he's a safe lion. Our God is mighty, yes. but he is good. Yes. And I love that. And so we serve a mighty, mighty God. Amen. Well, you may be seated for just a moment. I just want to extend to you a very happy Father's Day to all you men out there. Hope that you are being celebrated well today. We have some really nice gifts for you. We have some flashy socks out there. They're the kind of socks that make you want to tuck your pant cuff into them so people can notice them. So 
it's understandable if for the next few days you wear them, you just tuck those in so everyone can admire those. But we want every adult man to grab one of those pairs of socks before you leave today. We also have root beer floats for you. Make sure you get one of those, and, and we just honor you dads. Dads are an important part of our world, and they're so important. You read statistics all over the place about households that need fathers and what happens when fathers aren't present. And, um, and so it's so important what you're doing as a dad. You might feel like, ah, I'm not doing good enough. I, I feel like I'm, I'm not meeting the mark. If you are present, keep working. Keep doing, doing the work. Stay the course. And uh, thank you, men and fathers, for being present in your families. It's so important. Well, um, it's also, for those of you that aren't aware, today also falls on the same day as Juneteenth. And Juneteenth is our nation now celebrates... Um, an event that happened um, well over 150 years ago. It was after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, after the Civil War had been fought, there were still slaves living in slavery in, in the state of Texas. And the news finally got down there that you are free men, you are free women, and they were, they were set free. And so today we recognize that day. And it reminds us that though the words might be spoken and even though wars might be fought, we still have work to do. And so um, we need to be people that build bridges. We need to be people that if we have power and influence, we need to be people that, that bring that to people that don't have a voice. And so um, it's a day to remember that as well. So two big holidays today that we are recognizing. So uh, church today, um, there's just a few things I want us to, to be aware of. First of all, join us on our Sunday links. We got that really cool new Sunday links thing that has all the links that you need to follow. So if you check that QR code there or QR code there, I found out that you can like save it to your screen desktop, almost like an app, so you can access it anytime you want. But go to that, uh, that thing right there, and that will give you the links to our giving page. That'll give you links to our Bible app, um, all those things. So make sure you follow us there. Um, also, uh, let's see here. What are, the, what are the other important things that we want to make you aware of? Uh, we're going to do connection cards at the end of service, and Ty is going to do an incredible job with the connection cards. I'm already excited for it. I'm just really building it up so he feels the pressure. But uh, when we do our connection cards at the end of the service, make sure you let us know that you were here. Let us know if there's anything we can be praying with you about. If this is your first time, welcome to New Life Church. We're so glad you chose Father's Day to be with us. Um, if you don't have a place, you consider your church home and family. Let me tell you, this is a great church home and family. This is a place to get plugged in, connected, and grow. So make sure you, you get plugged in. Let us know it's your first time on that connection card. And when you do, um, we're going to be uh, making a donation on your behalf if you let us know it's your first time. There's an organization called Feed One. It goes into the neediest parts of our world, and it brings the hope of Jesus first and foremost. But it also meets felt needs. It gives food, clean water, and an education to children. So for a week on your behalf, we're going to sponsor a child. So thank you for letting us know it's your first time. We'll make that donation on your behalf. So mark that on your connection card at the end of the service, all right? Um, I believe that's all the, the welcome and announcements I have. Am I missing anything that's on, on that list? I'm killing it right now, other than Kingdom Builders. So at this time this morning, um, we're going to receive our Kingdom Builders offering. Um, Ty, would you mind helping me? I, I think our Kingdom Builders is over here on the, on the side. Um, Kingdom Builders is our church's initiative to bring the good news of the gospel around our world. And can I tell you, some of you don't recognize me. You've been here two weeks, you're new, and you're like, who is this guy? I'm the pastor here. I was sick for a couple weeks. The last Sunday I was here, thank you, it's good to be back. Turns out I like you guys a lot. 
So uh, the last two weeks I've been gone. So I've been, the, the last time I was here was on Kingdom Builder Sunday when we had the banquet. And uh, it was incredible. We had pledges given um, that, that uh, exceeded my expectations and, and wildest dreams about what we could do as a church. And it, it's set us up. We were able to give over $3,000 or about $3,000 in that single offering just to the missionaries that were here that day to bless them. That's huge. That's huge. So, um, and, then, and then pledges that were pledged for the year to come. And our Kingdom Builders is our church's initiative to bring the good news of Jesus around our world. It's beyond our regular tithes and offerings. This is sacrificial giving. And uh, something I wanted to update you on is we have a missions team we got a report from on that mission Sunday if you were here. They're in a sens sensitive part of the world. We can't show you uh, their actual faces, but this is them. And they are, they are um, in the Near East on the other side of the world. And they just got their Speed the Light vehicle um, there. Some of you are like, Speed the Light? That's, what, what's that? Let me tell you. So we as a church congregation, as adults, give to Kingdom Builders. And that supports missionaries with their regular budgets. That's their, that's their living expenses. That's them being there on, on the ground. All the things they need to make ends meet. Our students, our youth students, ages 6 through 12, give to something called Speed the Light. And every missionary that needs a vehicle or needs audio and sound equipment, they support it. This car was paid for by students 6th through 12th grade in the state of Oregon that give to Speed the Light. So that's huge. That's huge that they were able to get that. On top of it, we have something called BGMC that our kids give to because we want to instill a giving hearts in our young people too, right? And our kids. And our kids, all the way kindergarten through fifth grade, give to something called Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. And they get all the materials, like if, you, if they need DVDs, if they need uh, print, print materials, things like that for discipleship, they supply for all those things. So as a church, holistically, we give to missions um, across many different areas. But I just wanted to let you guys know that this missions team, we just got a report from a couple weeks ago, got their Speed the Light vehicle from us. So that's super exciting. Thank you for giving. So right now, we are going to give. We give in a few different ways. You can find an envelope in the seat back. You can put your gift in that envelope and drop it in the box here as we continue in worship. You can text to give by texting the word kingdom with no quotes, just kingdom and the dollar amount you want to give to the phone number 84321. Or you can uh, go online to give uh, through the links that you have there or go to nlcchurch.com give. All right. So let's give with joyful hearts today. Let's stand together. Let's continue in worship as we exalt the name of Jesus. Let's worship with all we have today, church. Let's lift him up with all our voices, all our strength. We are hungry, we are hungry 
Lift your voices today. We praise your name. We glorify you. We exalt your name, Jesus. You conquer fear. In your name, we have life. In your name, there is victory. Shadows have no place where the light of the gospel, the light of truth shines through. We praise your name. We exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. 
You silence fear in Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, Lord. This morning, if you're in this room and fear has had a place in your heart, it's been directing your eyesight, it's kept your eyes off of Jesus right now, I want you to raise your hands and begin to focus on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith right now. Lift your hands across this room and say, Jesus, I no longer look at fear. I no longer look at what the enemy would want to draw me away from. But just as Peter, when he was walking on water, kept his eye, when he kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked in faith. Right now, I keep my eyes on you. I don't let the wind and the waves determine what's going to be happening. And this morning, we say, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, you take our fears. We praise your name. We exalt your name this morning. Thank you, Father. We praise your name. Amen. 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 Church, you can be seated this morning. Okay, dads. Let's go ahead and get started, guys. Now, some of you have already let me know how uncomfortable you were in last week's meeting. So tonight, we're going to try to respect each other's boundaries. What? Tonight, we've also got a guest with us, David. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. I'm David. David. Hey. How many kids do you have, David? None, at least not at the moment. Uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, she should be delivering any day now. That's great. Super. Awesome. Who would like to go first? Anyone. Anyone. I'll go. Perfect. Todd? Yes. My daughter and I went to the mall, and she said she wanted to take the stairs to the second level. And I said, I don't trust stairs, because they're always up to something. <laughs> Todd, I'm sorry that happened. I encourage you to try to resist the urge to make jokes like that. My turn? Can I go? Okay. Yesterday, actually, my daughter got home and she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, a guy tried to sell me a coffin, but that's the last thing I need. Oh, Jerry, that joke is dead on arrival. Because it's the last thing I need. David, how about you? Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't this is a safe zone. Just jump on in. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm just scared of being a dad. I'm afraid I'm gonna start telling bad jokes just like my dad. Well, it might be in our nature. We can fight against it. Hey, speaking of nature, I tried to catch some fog yesterday. I missed. M-I-S-T. Oh, You're a monster. This is where the boundary is. I'm done. This is where you are. Hello? Really? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll be right there. That was Julie. Her water just broke. I guess the baby finally ran out of womb. <laughs> I'm gonna be a dad. Don't you think it should be going? Oh, yeah. So I told my wife she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. Oh, 
Well, good morning, New Life Church. Man, speaking of miss, this is crazy up here. What's going on? Hey, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so good to see you guys. I just have a few quick announcements that I want to make, and then I'm going to turn over, back over to Pastor Brent. First one, how many men we got in the room? Right on. We have our men's breakfast, which I've been told will have real bacon, which is really cool. Uh, I'm super passionate about men's ministry. How many of you guys were here last week and heard Pastor Todd speak? He's coming back uh, for our men's breakfast. He'll be speaking then, so make sure that you're there. But uh, something that I love about men's ministry is, um, I think this won't be like surprising just because it's, it's pretty normal nowadays, but I grew up without a dad. I had no father figure in my life for the vast, vast majority of my life. And it, it messed me up. It made it really hard. And I remember when I first uh, started going to church, my youth pastor uh, recognized that in me and took me, uh, took me under his wing, kind of, you know, helped shape me, move me forward. He still texts me every day, like, hey, I consider you one of my kids. I love you. It's been really cool. Guys, whether you be a dad or not, you have this opportunity to speak into the next generation of men. And so if you're here and... Um, if you're here and you've been, like, I, I've had so many friends. It's so weird. You just never think about it. But I've had so many guys in my life say, I wish I could be a dad. I've never been able to be a dad. And I'm like, dude, you have that opportunity now. Because statistically in this world, there are more boys, girls growing up without a father than there are with fathers right now. And so if you're here and you haven't invested in the men's ministry, I'd encourage you to come simply for maybe having the opportunity to help shape another man's life. Amen? So Come. I'll fill you with bacon. I'll see you next to somebody that you don't know. We'll hear Pastor Todd speak. It's going to be a really good time. So make sure you're there. Secondly, speaking of being dads, we have VBS coming up. We have our legendary sports camp, which I hear is going to be quite the fun. I think we have a QR code somewhere else it'll, it'll to be TBT to be found or something like that. But uh, this is an awesome opportunity for you to... Uh, Sign up your kids so that they can be further discipled. How many of you guys have had your kids in Pastor Charity's kids ministry? It's been awesome. I know those of you who have, it's been really great. I interned under Pastor Charity a long time ago, and even I was having a blast. I was like, what, candy? Games? Picking on kids? Sign me up every week. This is going to be so much fun. But hey, make sure your kids are there. They're going to learn a lot about Jesus. It's going to be so much fun. And I would encourage you, if you are here um, and you have two arms, how many of you guys have two arms? How many of you have at least one arm? All right, that's hopefully everybody here. Otherwise, we'll pray for you. Come up front, it'll be good. But if you have one to two arms, you are very capable of serving at VBS. So make sure you sign up your kids, but also sign up yourself. Because can I tell you, as you come to the end of your life, and this sounds morbid, but I don't mean it to be, you're not going to think back in how much money you've had. You're not going to think about what you've owned, where you've been, or anything. You're going to think what impact did I make in this world? And that's going to bring you back to thinking about relationships and people. And I think this camp has the potential to be one of those things that you think back to at the end of your life and say, wow, I was really able to partner with God and see him change lives. Amen? Well, that's it, guys. That's all I got. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to the bumper video and to Pastor Brent. Go ahead and give him a hand as he works his way up. Why they don't have me come up very often. Just kidding. We have our tithes and offerings. So if the ushers want to join me, I just want to thank you guys for being so faithful. Um, something interesting 
that I've learned about tithe is tithe is like this weird taboo topic. Nobody likes talking about money. It makes us uncomfortable, which is really interesting to me because how many of you guys know money kind of makes the world go round? Like it's a weird thing that everybody wants it. Everybody wants to know what everyone else is making, what everyone else has, how they can get more, all this stuff. But nobody wants to be upfront about it. You know what I mean? You're like, hey, I'm going to fill this out, but I don't, I don't want to just be blatant or anything like that. But can I tell you that God's interested in your money, not because he's interested in your money, but because he's interested in you. And so what I love about money is money gives us a couple of opportunities. Money, firstly, gives us the opportunity of freedom. That's why I like money. I'm like, if I have money, I can, I can do stuff. I can experience stuff. It's really fun. But the second opportunity it gives us is the opportunity to be generous and to bless. You can't bless or be generous if you don't have and so what I'm thankful for is that God's provided for us so that we can be a blessing and generous to others. I live so much of my life thinking, if I just make more money, then I'll finally have a chance to be generous. But can I tell you, that, that's technically not going to happen. That's honestly not going to happen because all money does is showcase what's already in your heart. So if you're here and you make a little, you make a lot, it doesn't really matter to God. What God wants to know is, how are you going to use and steward what I've given you? So this morning, I just want to encourage you guys, let's continue to be faithful so that we can bless others, that we can proclaim the gospel both here and all over the world. Amen. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you through the pragmatics and the practical with the thing that gives us freedom in life. God, I thank you that you aren't just interested in the songs that we sing, but you're interested in the life that we live. God, I pray that each one of us here would be challenged to live a life that glorifies you. God, that we would be generous, that we would be thankful for everything that you've done in our life. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Now I'm seriously gone. You can go ahead and clap for Pastor Brent now.
Joseph, God is blessing this group. They are literally doing what God commanded people to do in the book of Genesis chapter 2. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. This is the same language that's used right here. The Israelites are being fruitful and multiplying. There are a ton of them. They're, they're propagating and they're, and they're becoming um, 
successful. But because this is happening, this is what happened next, moving down to verse 8. It says, eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look at the people of Israel now, or look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must, t we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. They will escape. Then they will escape from the country. So this new king comes to power, this new pharaoh, who doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember how he saved their land. He doesn't remember all the things that happened. And this fear begins to grow about the population of Israelites. Uh, the king begins to propagate this xenophobia about the, the, the Hebrew people, that they're going to uh, start an uprising against us. They're going to turn on us. And so the Egyptians then enforce a brutal slavery over the Israelite people. They start to enslave them and make them do manual labor. Um, continuing on in verse 11, it says, So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Did you catch that? That's a recurring theme we see in the Bible here. The more the enemy tries to oppress, the more the enemy tries to squash and push down, the blessing of God is poured out even more. The more the enemy tries to, to stop, the more the enemy tries to, to put an end, the more God's blessing is poured out. And the more the devil tries to stamp out God's favor, the more the people of God we see flourishing despite the circumstance. See, sometimes we pray against the circumstance, but it's in the circumstance that we actually see God's blessing coming through in this story. And we see it over and over through Scripture. Like I said, this is something, a recurring theme. Look at the story of Job. When, when the devil says, I can get Job to curse you, God, and he's able to, to take everything from Job's life. He takes his wealth. He takes his family. He takes his health. Yet, at the end of it all, God blesses him all the more despite what the enemy would attempt. We see in the story of Nehemiah and the remnant returning to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. This, this people group rises up against them and they say, we are going to destroy them. We're going to wipe them off, off the face of the earth. But in the face of actual oppression, they rise up and there's actual blessing that comes through it. In the book of Acts, the church comes under persecution. They are literally being killed and hunted by the state. And when they are spread out, what happens? God's blessing comes and the gospel spreads even faster. Despite circumstance, despite what the enemy would want, David writes about this confidence that occurs in the midst of tumult, in the midst of attack, this confidence we can have. In Psalm 46, he says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. He says, we're not going to fear any of these things. You see, in ancient Israeli culture and literature, when they're writing in poetry about the ocean or the sea, it was not a good thing. It's not like us saying, let's spend time at the shore. When they're writing about uh, the ocean, they're the people that would wear water wings to the pool all the time. They just were not seafaring folks. They didn't like the water. And so when they wrote about the sea or the ocean, it was an allegory for danger. It was an allegory for the unknown. It represented chaos. It represented evil. It represented death. That's why when John writes in Revelation chapter 2 that one day there will be no more sea, it's not that he didn't like the ocean. 
Well, maybe he didn't, but the reason he wrote that is there is no more death. There is no more unknown. There is no more chaos. That when the fullness, full expression of God's kingdom is seen on this earth, the sea will be gone. So when David's writing in Psalm and he says, let the oceans roar, let all these things happen, he's saying, in the face of all of it, we have a confidence. We have an, an assurance. And David said, I can look into the storm and be confident that God's favor still holds dominion over his people. As a matter of fact, the more the Egyptians oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied. So Pharaoh goes to the Hebrews and he says, here's the deal. I need to talk to your uh, two midwives and I'm going to tell them. And he tells them, here's what I want you to do. When you are um, helping these uh, women birth their babies, if you notice it's a boy, I want you to kill them. And it makes it sound like they almost have a, a partial birth abortion rule there. Because once they're born... He doesn't do anything about it. But he tells the midwives, while they're being born, if you notice it's a boy, I want you to kill that baby. And the midwives are fearing, God-fearing women. And so they do not report the, the boys that they're saving. They know we are going to save the boys just as well as the girls. So the boys are being born, and Pharaoh gets upset. He comes to them and he said, I thought I told you to kill these baby boys. And they said, listen, the Hebrew women, they are just a strong bunch of women. Your Egyptian women are pretty weak sauce compared to this. They are popping those babies out before we can even get there. And apparently once they're born, that's not an issue. So they're saying, sorry, we can't do anything about it. And this infuriates the Pharaoh. And so he goes to all of the Egyptian people, not just these two midwives. Now he makes an edict to all Egyptian people. He says, when you see a Hebrew baby boy that is born, you're to take it and you're to throw it into the Nile River. So, so Pharaoh initiates this cruelest level of population control. He starts a genocide. In, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. It says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. And this is an order that goes out to all people. Every person, then, is a threat. Can you imagine living with this fear looking over your shoulder? I think of the Jews in World War II. Or people that could be turned in for anything, watching over their shoulder. Will I be turned in uh, with my baby, my child? And so every person in is, a, is a threat. Um, they could take your, literally rip your child from your arms and throw them into a river and you would watch your child drown in front of you. How horrifying would that be? I think pregnancy would be a terrifying time. Can you imagine for those nine months of going to term, praying, dear God, let it be a girl. Oh God, let this baby be a girl. And these, these mothers carrying these children, and this, this genocide is occurring in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, so about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. And the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she saw that he was a special baby, and she kept him hidden for three months. Now, in this particular passage, we don't see what the mother's name is, but later on in uh, chapter 6, there's a genealogy, and it tells her name, and her name is Yoheved. Um, that's the Hebrew pronunciation. In English, we often pronounce it Jochebed, but it's Yoheved. And um, it's, it's not lost on me that today I'm going to be talking a lot about Yoheved, and I'm talking about a mother on Father's Day. But this was a message I had loaded for two weeks ago, so you get that. Plus... A few years back on Mother's Day, I led a song called Good, Good Father. So it all evens out. It's all even now. So, uh, so Yohebed has this baby boy, and it says here that she saw that he was a special baby. And the word saw here isn't just like glanced and noticed. 
but it actually means, it's the, the word is ra'ah, and it means to perceive. It means to look with discernment. And so she, she looked at this baby, not just with the appreciation of a mother looking at her child, but she saw with spiritual eyes there was something unique about this baby. There was something special about this baby, a calling on this young child, that God's hand was on this baby. And so Pharaoh's decree did not dictate her conviction. What she knew she had seen was not affected uh, by, by what the Pharaoh had said. This was a high-risk action. Um, being discovered was a real danger to her life as well as to the baby's. I mean, obviously the baby's life, but, but to hide something, an edict that had been handed down from Pharaoh was at risk of herself being executed. And it doesn't mention it here, but she had already had two children. She had already had a son and a daughter. That would leave them motherless. It would leave her, fa her, her husband uh, a widow, a widower. And so, so she, she could have taken a real stop and think about, let's talk about the pluses and minuses here. Let's weigh this out. I have two children that need me. I already have a son. My husband needs me. But she said, I see what God has done. I see the, the, what God is doing. I have, I have a vision that's been given to me. And so she, she does not let the Pharaoh's decree affect her conviction. Man's agenda has no precedence if it stands against what God has decreed. This is why in Hebrews chapter 11, all the way in the New Testament, when it's talking about the hall of faith, about the people who lived lives of faith, it mentions Yoheved specifically. It mentions her. It says it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. It's giving his dad some credit here that he's not mentioned there in the, in the uh, story in Exodus. Uh, but uh, Hebrews gives him some credit. It says they saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. See, they had eyes of faith. They had a total faith that said what they had seen... And what they had heard was from God and they should obey God. In faith believing what they had seen, she hid him for three months. You see, the nice thing about a newborn baby is they're right where you left them. That's a really nice feature of a newborn baby. Um, they don't get around too much. They're just kind of, you set them there and that's where they stay. Um, when, when Hosanna and I were, <laughs> we just had Gavin, I, we were young and naive. Gavin was two months old and we took him to winter camp with us. Hosanna had literally just had a baby like eight weeks before, and we took Gavin to winter camp in a cabin in the snow, and he slept on a shelf in the closet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know what? We put him there, and that's where he stayed. Um, Babies are, aren't too, aren't, aren't, don't get around too much when they're little guys. And there's something also about a little infant baby. When they're first born and, and you're holding them and they cry, it's the most precious little cry. It's, and you're like, oh. And then they get a little bit bigger and they discover they have more lung capacity. And they're like, no! And so for the first three months, Yoheved was probably able to tuck him away, put him in the closet, on the shelf. Keep the cries quiet. But he's getting bigger and wants to eat more and he's hungry. And so three months later, it becomes something she can't hide anymore. That demand for food and the discomfort of getting dirty gets pretty strong. And so it's difficult to hide. So here's what happens in verse 3. It says, so when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. And the baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Now, 
I could be wrong here. I want to just preempt that with this. But I've always understood this portion of the story as an act of desperation. A desperate mother. They're going to kill my baby. I'll put him in the river. What? The river? That's your choice? A, a river? We'll just float him down the river and hope for the best. He'll just put him down the rapids. This is my last hope. I'm going to put him in the river with no plan. But I think my perspective on this has changed, and here's why. I'll give you my reasoning why. Look at what happens next in this story, and I'll kind of explain. So it says this. So soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. There's a few things going on here. The, the Israelites lived in a very specific section. They were, like I said, there was xenophobia. People were afraid of this race of people. So they had to live in Goshen, in their own little land. The princess would not go into a place where the Israelites are not hanging out. Or where the Israelites are hanging out. She'd be near the palace or somewhere. Also, if I was to be someone who takes baths in the river, I would probably want a pretty regular place to go that I know there's privacy that I know, I know what to expect, I know what the water's like, it's not like a roaring area of the river, I know what critters are in that part of the river, this is the Nile River. I think Yoheved was not blindly just throwing her baby in a basket into the river saying, float away and I hope you find a good home. I think Yoheved was doing something, an act with faith. This is, this is again, I'm postulating, but this, I think I, I'm on, on, on the right track here. I, um, I believe that, that, that this is happening. And then we see also Miriam, his sister, waiting at a distance to see what's going to happen. There's an anticipation. And so my feeling is this isn't an act of desperation, but it's an act of faith. The Yohevid could have sat and just stood at home with her child and say, God, if this is a special baby, if I saw with faith what, what is supposed to happen, just help us out here, God. I need a miracle. And could have paced in her house and waited and waited and waited for something to happen. But instead, we see Yohevid take the resources she had available to her and she put them to work. She said, I can make a basket. I've got pitch. I've got tar. I'm going to put the resources I have to work. And faith and action go hand in hand. James chapter 2 talks about this. Faith without works is a dead faith. That faith and action go together. They have to walk together. Author Tommy Nelson says this. I love what he says. He says, God is in control, but he doesn't want us to lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. See, this is exactly what James 2 is talking about. Faith and works go together. He says, he says you say you have faith and, and all these things, but, but what good is it if you go to someone that's freezing to death and say, I pray for you that you will be warm? What? In the same way with our faith, we can't just say, God, I need you to do a miracle. I'll be back here just hanging out. Go ahead and take care of it. But Yohebed took the, 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 what she had to contribute to this miracle. She took her contribution to the miracle and put it in God's hands. I think of another story in the book of 2 Kings. There's a story of a widow who needed a miracle. And Elijah comes to her and says, here's what you need to do. Go gather as many jars as you can. And her part of the miracle was to gather jars. And she gathered jars like crazy. And guess what? She started filling them with oil. And as long as she had jars, the oil continued to flow. But her part of the miracle was to collect the jars. God, we put it in his hands, but we need to do our part of the miracle is, is to, to trust him with it. Yehebed took her treasure. She took her promise from God and she placed it into a place where God could do something with it. 
Did you hear that? She took what was precious to her and she placed it where God could do something with it. She took the resources she had and then she trusted God for the result. You see, I think the problem is we spend the majority of our time, maybe like 95% of our time, worrying about the part of the circumstance we could never change. Rather than the 5% that we can have an effect on and trust God with. I was fretting about something this last week. I'm a worrier, I guess. I don't know. And Hosanna said to me, Brent, when you worry, you're just making yourself suffer twice. That 95% we put in God's hands, but we need to put that, take our part of the miracle and trust him with it. Invest it. So it says this in verse 6. When the princess opened this basket, she saw the baby and the little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. How incredible is this part of the story? Yehebed is not only uh, get to nurse her own son with the king's blessing, but now she's getting paid to do it. She's getting paid to do it. This has to be one of the very first examples ever of paid maternity leave that we see. God not only spared her son, but he blessed her on the other side of it. The enemy's resources became her own resources. Man's agenda has no business where God's promises have been decreed. Yehebed rejected fear and embraced God's plan, as Hebrew said. She rejected fear to embrace God's plan. You see, God's miracle won't always fit our narrative, though. We like to think of how God's going to answer our need, answer our prayer, answer what we're looking for. We like to have a category of how it looks. But God's miracles don't always fit our narrative. And sometimes it feels like the storm itself is, is, is not the answer. It's actually the problem. But sometimes the storm itself is actually God's answer happening. This might sound crazy, but, but hear me out. Yehovah needed to give up her son two times. Once into the basket, and a second time... Once he was weaned to live in the palace. And that had to be extremely painful too. Can I tell you? That no mother wants to let her child go live somewhere else in a foster care system. with some, No matter how good the living situation is. And she had to release him again. Not knowing that God had a greater plan for redemption that was coming down the road. I think about. Uh, there was a story I just read this week. About a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Louis Edward Curtis of the, uh, of the Army Air Force in World War II. He flew a P-51, and uh, in World War II, he had the distinction of being one of the few pilots to shoot down aircraft from all three Axis powers, from Germany, from Italy, and from the Empire of Japan, as well as one American plane. This is a bizarre incident. Uh, on the night of February 10th, 1945, he took part in an air raid against Japanese forces uh, on an island called Bataan Island in the Philippines. And he noticed an American transport plane heading straight towards a Japanese-controlled airfield. And he attempted to radio the plane to warn them of danger, but he received no reply. 
He then tried to force the C-47 to alter its course by dangerously flying his plane directly in front of it, and, uh, but it didn't seem to get its attention or get it to dissuade from where it was going either. So with no options left, Curtis dis- desperately lined up behind the C-47 and opened fire on its engines with his 50 caliber machine guns. The plane soon went down and it crash landed into the, into the ocean. Fortunately, all 11 people on board the plane survived, Americans. And it was later determined that the C-47 had been lost in poor weather and its radio had stopped working and they were running out of fuel and they were headed for this airstrip all while totally being unaware that it was under Japanese control. And so Colonel Curtis was officially credited by the Army Air Force for the kill against an aircraft from his own country. But to his surprise also, one of the passengers on that transport was none other than Slatlana Ranel, an army nurse with which Curtis was supposed to have a date on that very same night. So upon her rescue, they eventually got, got to go on their date, and on April 2nd, 1946, Curtis married the woman who he had literally shot down. Pretty wild story, but I think about myself being on that transport plane, being a pilot, and you've gone through a terrible storm and you've lost navigation, you've lost your radio and your contact and your fuel levels are getting low. You are about to crash and you see on the horizon the answer you're looking for. You know it's the answer you need. It's an airfield lying ahead. And then of all things, the person that should be on your side shoots you down. What is your problem? Trying to kill us. They didn't see what was going on. They didn't have the, the, the overall arching view that, that, that they needed to see. Uh, we see all these things. We've been through storms. We've lost our communication. We're, we're desperately flying to the answer that seems so clear. And on top of it, we feel like we're under attack. And in this wild situation, in what seemed to be their reality being wrongfully attacked, he saved them. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And in the same way where this man knew what was lying ahead and knew what needed to be done, I'm sure for for Yehevit, as she is sitting here giving up her child, going, I don't understand this. This is not the answer that I'm looking for. Putting him in a basket, giving him away to, to this princess to be raised somewhere else. God saw the bigger answer, despite what's going on. And she trusted him with it. She had to give up her son twice. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all our ways, we're to acknowledge Him, that He will make our paths straight. God knew the big picture, the redemption of an, an entire people. But in order to do so, Yehebit had to give to God what she couldn't hold on to. And she received back more than she had ever put in His hands. She gave to God what she couldn't hold on to. She couldn't keep Moses in her own hands. So she put him in God's. And in return, she got back more than she had ever given to God. Today, I challenge you, church, with whatever your story is. It may feel like the answer is not the one you're looking for. Do you trust what God has said? No matter how the enemy rages against you, do you trust that he has your story written and under control and he knows what he's doing and you can place it into his hands and trust him with the answer even when we don't see the result on the other side at this moment in time it's interesting because you have it was born most likely a slave already she was born in a nation that she did not belong to she was born 
under the curse of slavery. And some of us in this room, you've been born under a curse. You've accepted that maybe uh, defeat and, and all these things are just your, maybe your destiny. It's your fate. Let me tell you that God has a miracle for you. That God wants to set you free. And maybe you've never experienced the full freedom there is in God. That he has never set your soul free from the bondage of sin. That we all, as humans, have been captured by. Sin has taken each of our hearts. It's separated us from God. We cannot know God because we are imperfect creatures that have uh, chosen our own way. But the Bible says that Jesus came. See, Moses was just kind of a, a, a shadow of what was to come through Jesus. In the same way that Moses came to redeem the Israelites, Jesus came, but Jesus was the Son of God, and he lived a perfect life for us. He lived a perfect life, never sinned, never failed. He, he deserved everything that all of creation could give him, but yet he set it aside and he lived a perfect life and he died in our place where we deserve eternal death for our sin. He died for us so that we could have salvation. One day, when we step from this reality into the ultimate reality of eternity, we are going to have an opportunity at life because of what Jesus did for us. We can have that assurance of knowing what, where we will stand when we breathe heavenly air one day. And today, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to give you this opportunity. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you have not yet surrendered your soul to Jesus and you want that assurance of being set free, you have been unsure of what eternity looks like or what it holds. Maybe you've felt an incredible guilt in your life about failures and things that you have done wrong and you need to know that you stand right before God. I want to give you this opportunity. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you never have given your life to him before or maybe for the first time you're ready or, or maybe it's time for you to, to recommit your life to him and you say, that's me, Pastor Brent. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Raise it with you.
And I need to trust God with the answer. Even if it's not the answer I think should be there, I need to trust him with what he has given me, the vision he's given me. If that's you in this place, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you right now. Yeah, I see that hand. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Yes, I see those hands. Who else, please? Yes, thank you. Father, right now, we pray with those whose hands are raised. They feel like... There are times when the enemy is just trying to crush them. He's trying to, 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 to take their joy, to take their victory. Right now, Lord, we pray that the favor of God would hold dominion over your people. That what the enemy attempts to do would be stamped out. That when the enemy tries to oppress, the blessing of God would be poured out in profound ways. In ways that we don't even understand, Lord. And in the times when we don't see the answer, when we don't understand the answer, Lord, I pray for, 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 for us to have the faith to say, I might not see the end result, but I trust you, God, that you see what I, my eyes cannot see, that you know what my mind cannot, cannot comprehend, and I put it in your hands. And Lord, right now, we, we pray for miracles. Lord, we do battle in the spiritual realms, in the heavenlies. We pray for those that right now are going through spiritual warfare. There are things around them in their family lives. There are things going around them at their, in their work lives. There are things going around them in their spirit and their very soul feels weighted down. We pray for victory in Jesus' name. The enemy has no place here. And we know that by your hand, we have the victory. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Pastor Ty. something great out of that message this morning. I know I did. So for our connection cards today, I want to make it super simple in our response. We have our QR code there. Feel free to scan it, but um, I want to make it simple. What is something in your life that you need to put action to your faith? It's interesting. We live in a time when, that I think most people haven't even caught on. How many of you guys know we're in a recession right now? It's kind of weird. I was like, I was asking my wife, I was like, I think we're in a recession. She's like, you think? And I was like, I do. I do. She's like, good, keep doing that. That's good for you. But we're in a weird time. Things are uncertain. We're, we're experiencing things in this life that we've, that people before us have never experienced before. Things are running rampant from, from finances to knowing, you know, uh, where our next job's going to come from, how to raise our kids, what to walk through. There's all kinds of uncertainties. And today I just want you to take time to think, God, what's something in my life that I need to trust you with? I need to put action to my faith and not just say in some symbolic gesture, oh yeah, I trust you, God, but to really say, God, I trust you, so I'm taking that step. I love using this example. How many of you guys are fellow Indiana Jones fans? You guys know what I'm talking about? He walks up to that bridge that he can't see, and he's got to take that step before he can see the bridge show up. Sometimes God's asking us to be Indiana Jones, at least for me. I love it. Uh, and we need to take that step before we see where it's at because that's real faith. Faith isn't following what we know is already there, but faith is stepping out when it doesn't make sense. Obeying God when it's hard. So this morning in our connection cards, let's go ahead and fill that out real quick. I'll give you a few seconds. Let's go ahead and stand. I just want to pray for you and send you guys out with a blessing this morning. And before I forget, on your way out, you're going to find over here on the left side, 
a pair of socks, and a root beer float for every single dad. And you're asking, what's the connection? Make sure to dip your socks as a strainer for your root beer float. It tastes really good that way. Just kidding. God, right now, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these awesome people. I pray that as we leave, that as we honor dads, we remember that you are our father in heaven. God, that it says that fathers on earth provide good gifts for families. How much more the God in heaven, God. We thank you for every good gift that you've given, God. I pray that we would be a blessing with how you've blessed us. Help us to continue this walk. We look forward to experiencing you through our whole life, that we'd come week after week excited to share testimonies of your goodness. And we pray. Everybody said, amen. Go get your wings, your burgers, your barbecue, and get on out of here.